Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. honesty and sacrifice in the book of ephesians this plays out we looked at the government level i want to look at the social level when policies don't go your way do you say well i cannot make a change or do you say i can still affect society despite the policy being against what i morally believe we look at the book of ephesians during that time it was a practice called infanticide where you could have a child full term and leave it at the base of mountains for the elements in the beast of the day to consume. Now let me ask you a question. Did the people of the day go and picket Caesar's palace, hashtag pun intended? Did they picket the people living, leaving their babies at the base of the mountains? No, they didn't. You know what the Christians did? They went and adopted those babies. They brought them home into their houses and they raised those children. Happy Juneteenth weekend, and thank you for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and on Q Ideas, we seek to bring you some of the best of conversations from various Q events on topics that are relevant to you. Today, it's no different. The conversation and the talk that you're going to get to hear is going to create a dialogue, I know, for you, for your friends, for people who are wrestling through the conversations that our culture has been having over race for many, many years now. And we invited Adam Thomason to give this talk, and it's called Systemic Preference. And we get into that conversation with Adam as he relays to us his views on how does injustice move forward? How has it happened historically? And how is it showing up in our lives today in ways we don't even realize it? He starts to pull back the layers and expose to us some of these realities that sometimes are uncomfortable. And until you're faced with it, you don't realize you need to be faced with it. And so what I'm excited about with Adam is not only is he somebody who's an incredibly deep thinker, he also practically loves storytelling. He has a doctoral education with a focus in race relations, the slave trade, and reconciliation, and a master's in biblical studies from Savannah College of Arts and Design. He's also the author of a new book called Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus, which is quite a read. He's the founder of I Am Red Rev and the co-founder of Three Strand Films. He's an incredible man of God, uh, father and friend, and I want you to listen and enjoy and be challenged by his talk, Systemic Preference. We all have privileges, right? Certainly those privileges are preferences. I have preferences, you have preferences, right? So yeah, I prefer to go to partying establishments with people who know how to dance on the two in the four. <laughs> Instead of going to partying establishments with people who are rhythmically challenged who try to dance on the 1.3 and the 3.7. And if you don't know the difference between the two, chances are you and I would not be at partying establishments together. 
But we all have preferences, right? I prefer fried chicken over baked chicken, fried fish over baked fish, fried shrimp over baked shrimp, fried calamari over baked calamari, fried okra over baked okra. That's right, you're with me. White castles over crystals. My wife's beauty over the cultural beauty, shout out to my bride. Actually, presenting to you for the first time instead of rehearsing my speech for the 500th time in front of my dog. I prefer Thai food over soul food. Yes, hashtag black card gone. (laughs) I prefer sushi as my main entree. And last of all, I prefer bacon over everything. Can I get an amen? We all have preferences. And our preferences are attached to us as people. We come out of subcultures and we look for people to tribe together with who share our similar preferences and as we matriculate these other subcultures and majority culture we get to the top and we create systems not leaving our preferences behind but bringing our subjective preferences into the system what happens when those preferences which are very biased become the objective standard in which people have to navigate they become unjust i'm answering the question what does it look like to dismantle unjust systems cold words for systemic preference could be you know what we're looking for someone with the character and the competency but we were looking for someone who has the chemistry to do it the way that we do it or how about this one, ladies? I get this from my, my women friends who get this. And like, hey, we're looking for a woman who knows how to leave but get it done like the fellas. Hashtag chauvinism. Or what about this one? One who just knows how to get along and do it the way we, we do it here in our structure. Those are cold words for systemic preference. And when it becomes a barrier, someone has to assimilate, be it male, female, black, white, purple, it is unjust and it needs to be dismantled. Now, when we talk about dismantling systemic preferences, we may not look at it, we must not look at it with casual eyes or mere intellectual assent. Why? Because a lot of people's identities are attached to these preferences. We must handle this with care. Sometimes when systemic preferences are dismantled, we are looking at 40 years of people's lives attached to this. People will have to admit and humble themselves in shame and degradation to the culture, though they want people to be free in Jesus. This is not mere intellectual sin. This is a move of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about dismantling unjust systems of preferences, we essentially are talking about breaking strongholds. And strongholds are not broken with mere intellectual sin. There's a three virtue lens that I want you to look through. And there is a three level of society that I want to look at. The virtue in the lens that we're going to look at is you have to have the courage to investigate your systems of preference. Can I get the clicker going? There we go. The courage to investigate. We have to have the honesty to assess our systemic preferences. And last but not least, we have to have the sacrifice unto solidarity. I'll build that out. In 1965, 
A man by the name of Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Before Black Lives Mattered, he wanted to show his white constituents the truth that black lives were battered. And he released a report called the Moynihan Report. And as a white man, he wanted to show his constituents in 1965, simply because the Civil Rights Acts were passed, do not fall into the delusion that the black family is now equal to the white family. And if you fall into that delusion, you are ignoring 300 years of history. I mean, your privilege allows you to do that. He was wanting to dispel the lie, hashtag white lies matter, that the black family has been withheld for 300 years and we at least need to give 300 years of policy, finances, and reconciliation, which would make the year 2265 if we're really serious about growing as America. This is Daniel Patrick Moynihan. He was an advisor to Johnson. He created a hundred of these objective reports. He passed it around the executive branch. Johnson read one of them. He said himself, white America must own the 300 years of oppression, persecution, discrimination, indignity, attack on the male and the Negro family if we are serious about moving forward. He said that publicly. What happens with all reports when the attacks come? You're talking about people giving up their systemic preference and privilege. What happens? People start to shrink back. And those 99 reports that were handed out were taken and locked in a vault in 1965. That one report that Johnson read and he talked about publicly was then tabled and it became a line item with everything else. And now that report has resurfaced as what? An indictment that Moynihan was trying to warn us of where we are with Black Lives Matter with Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Mike Brown. And someone's asking a question, did we not know about this? Yes, we did in 1965. I'm going to tell you why we didn't want to walk out in there because we didn't have the courage to investigate those preferences that we just take at face value. We didn't want to make an honest assessment. That's what Moynihan was wanting us to do. And then we didn't have the sacrifice uh, to solidarity. See, when the attacks came, he didn't shrink away from the report. Yes, his career suffered. Yes, he had anxiety attacks. But then it broke, and now that same report is used as a prophetic tool to say we had a chance and we still have a chance. Courage, honesty, and sacrifice. In the book of Ephesians, this plays out. We looked at the government level. I want to look at the social level. When policies don't go your way, do you say, well, I cannot make a change, or do you say I can still affect society despite the policy being against what I morally believe? We look at the book of Ephesians. During that time, it was a practice called infanticide, where you could have a child full term and leave it at the base of mountains for the elements in the beast of the day to consume. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the people of the day go and picket Caesar's palace, hashtag pun intended? Did they picket the people leaving their babies at the base of the mountains? No, they didn't. You know what the Christians did? They went and adopted those babies. They brought them home into their houses and they raised those children, friends. We don't need more people picketing abortion clinics with bad fluorescent signs and Sharpies saying we hate murder. We need people showing that they hate murder by actually raising the children. (laughs) 
And I'm not just a talking head on this point. This came home to me and my wife when my wife will tell you, I have a prison marking system in my home to when my kids will get out the house. (laughs) Right? My son is four years old. When he's gone 18, I'll be 50. And I say, babe, I can still walk at that time. We'll get to travel. (laughs) And while in Phoenix... This situation came home to us in a a meaningful relationship. A couple discovered that they were going to have another child. They were already stressed out with the several that they had. And while loving Jesus, they had a low Elijah moment is what I call it. And they wanted to commit the uncommittable or think about the unthinkable. And the God silenced the Rolodex of my self-righteous scriptures in my head and said, you better not say anything. And as we broke from that meeting and I prayed for him, while driving home, I knew my wife's heart and I didn't even have to ask her. The Lord said, you need to fulfill the law of Christ and bear his burden. And I'm not talking about praying for him. He says, I want your finances to become his finances. I want his stress to become your stress. And I want you to go to him and say, will you give me nine months of your life? I'll raise that child for you. I'll raise it with you. I don't even know what the answer is, but will you give me nine months of your life? His response to me, I feel like I got saved for the first time again. We don't need people throwing out answers, telling people to do what we ourselves are not ready to do. It's called pharisaicalism. And the Lord changed me and my wife's life that very day. And I told him, if I have to go another 18 years or whatever it is to bear your burden, I love you. I will. We need more people willing to have the courage to investigate their own lives, their preferences, having the honesty to assess and say, you know what? I really don't want to deal with that problem. But you know what's on the other side? Hope, sacrifice, under solidarity. If what Jesus said is true, I have a room and mansions in heaven that could supersede what I give up now. So when we look at the abortion problem in a societal level, they can pass whatever policy they want. They can't stop us from developing meaningful relationships. And let me stop those who would say, well, they made bad decisions and so did you eternally towards the Lord and the Lord still adopted you. So that's from a spiritual standpoint. I can hit you with the political standpoint. One of them said, you know what? Yeah, I know that they're having babies 70% out of wedlock, but guess who spiritually taught them to do that for 300 years? You discipled them in the words of John Hepburn in 1715. He said, we are discipling the Africans to be fornicators, to be adulterers, to not love their parents. John Hepburn, read it. He said, we have discipled the African." to violate commandments five through 10. And that is the legacy. So when you see ex-girl making decision of wanting to hook up with ex-guy, well, for 300 years, she was supposed to breed and split, breed and split, breed and split, breed and split. So when I see breed and split over a 70% rate in the urban area, I go, oh, they're just following their discipleship. And guess what? That was done with a Bible in hand. 
So when we talk about this problem of abortion, when we talk about that person making a bad decision, you have no right from a Jesus standpoint, and you have no right objectively and historically to say that is their problem. No, we as evangelicals disciple them into that problem, and it is our bastard child that we refuse to raise. How do we break down these systems? We must have the courage to investigate, be honest in our assessment, and the sacrifice and the solidarity. The last point I want to look at is a point just about global justice when we're talking about breaking down systemic preferences and privilege. We live in a day where I would say the global industrial revolution is at its height. Many of the clothes that you have on come from blood labor or blood goods. Think of the term blood diamond when there was that campaign in the 80s and 90s to get us to be aware that these diamonds that we're purchasing are actually coming from the deaths and the blood of other people. And Francis Schaeffer said in his book, How Should We Then Live? He said the problem with Christians over the centuries, one of the greatest minds on Christian worldview, he said this. He said, Christians have always been silent about the things they should have been vocal about. They were silent about slavery. They were silent about the industrial revolution that saw copious amounts of women and children work 12 to 16 hour days to the exhaustion and death of them while they were being complicit in receiving the wealth made from the industrial revolution. They were silent. And he said this, he said, and when Christians do not have the courage, his words, to apply the biblical virtues in society, the mantra of what meets the happiest for the most always wins out. Francis Schaeffer. So in this last point, I want to kind of switch it up. In writing and researching for Q and finishing up my dissertation, it got me back into one of my first loves that I discovered in 1999 and I was spoken word. So I wrote a a specific spoken word for Q Conference called Jordans or Justice. And I'm simply asking the question, Jordan being a metaphor, Michael Jordan for some of you who, you you know, you may not know Michael Jordan. (laughs) Jordan is really a metaphor for would you be willing to forego your luxury purpose, purchase for the true justice and existence of another to be realized in sin? Because all of us come in this wake right now All of us are purchasing blood goods, and we need to understand that justice isn't just simply justice for our situation, but a biblical justice, an imitatio day type justice, in the words of Christopher J. Wright, seeks the good for all, and it destroys systems of preference. So for the first time for you guys, Jordans or justice? Jordans or justice? Martyrs or Max? Low gas prices with tear gas in Iraq? They hailed Jesus as king, but they asked for Barabbas back. It's luxury at the loss of one's freedom. Legendary these shoes are, along with the man himself. And while he played, we waited eagerly to see what would dawn his feet and eventually the masses. And once he nabbed that six championships to solidify his number one place of prominence in basketball history, and in that beloved era in the Windy City, the stock on these shoes and himself went higher and still is today. I've seen people sleep in lines for them, ride for them, kill for them, mall shut down for them, people jump for them. Oh, they had those Jordans because you got to have those days, right? 
See, I was never the one that had the latest fashion. The hand-me-downs at best. Shoes that fit one size too big, that was my Christmas. So to go without Jordans never emotionally moved me up or down. But what happens when humanity's greatest ball players called into question? Sweatshops. Do you know? Do you care, Mr. Jordan? Can you clear yourself of allegations of injustice that's happening in your factories and upon your watch? Justice. The administering of deserved punishment, reward, or moral rightness. Whether Tamir Rice should have been playing with a fake gun and his parent or parents should have been present is beyond the point. The life of a 12-year-old is gone. And his life is not worth bringing someone in for further questioning? Hmm. As I surveyed the justified outrage from the past cases of Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Martise Johnson, and not Tamir Rice, I see these same marchers and protesters wearing what on their feet? What on their feet? What? That's right. Jordans. Because you got to have those J's, right? These same shoes that haven't been cleared of allegations of injustice are being worn by the marchers and protesters at the marches and rallies as they march and protest for what? Justice. As they march and protest against what? Injustice. Then I ask myself the question, do we want Jordans or justice? Do we want to be martyrs or simply keep our max? Do we want low gas prices while they're tear gas in Iraq? We hail Jesus as king, but we're constantly asking for Barabbas back. It's going to be luxury at the loss of one's freedom. See, true justice isn't being outraged by the injustice on your soil. It's being outraged by the injustice everywhere and being consistent enough in your human dignity ethic to do something about it. I mean, come on, level with me, level with me, level with me. Will we really take the same passionate outrage that we have for Tamir Rice's case or whatever hot button topic it is and refuse to buy our smartphones and laptops and dare I say, George, because you got to have those chains, right? See, to bring about justice for Tamir Rice and the host of other nameless 12-year-olds dying to produce our luxury brand culture, you must choose, we must choose Jordans or justice. But Adam, I got to have my J's, right? That's my time. Well, this again is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. And what a dynamic and important talk there from Adam Thomason. A talk from last year's Culture Summit that's entitled Systemic Preference. And Gabe... I really appreciate how Adam helped us to see a larger view of where our preferences can lead to injustices, often ones we're blind to. Do we want Jordans or justice? Do we want to be martyrs or simply keep our max? Do you want low gas prices while they're tear gassing Iraq? He gave this talk back a few years ago, and it was one of those that has resonated throughout our community because it created good conversations about how is it that we don't see some of these things that we just think are preferences, mere preferences, but they're unjust systems that we've employed and that we've adopted and that we don't think twice about. So I hope it challenges you. I hope it creates good conversations with you, with your kids, with your family, with your friends and your church. Share it with those who you think this would encourage today to know that we are trying to think well about these topics of race and injustice. Yes, those are important questions to ask. And Gabe, I'm so thankful you're willing to ask them. After all, that's what Q stands for. Q stands for questions. And from the start, Gabe and his team have been helping us stay curious about many topics, including the issue of racism and injustice. Then as you ask the questions, you're encouraged to think well 
and advance good. You hear that every week here on Q Ideas. Well, along with Q Events, Gabe and his team host the Q Media Platform. There you can watch talks from events like our Culture Summit and more. Again, since this is Juneteenth weekend, maybe you're thinking a lot about the issue of racism and ethnic healing. Well, we've talked a lot about it at our various Q events. For example, maybe you've heard the idea of the call to be colorblind. Well, a good friend of ours, Trillia Newbell, spoke about that a few years ago at a Q event. And yeah, while it may seem like a good aspiration, she points out it's really a deficient idea. You really reduce and try, in a lot of ways, erase me mm. when you say that you don't see the way that God has created me. Yeah. Also, the truth is you do. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to really be able to engage in conversation about getting to know one another and culture if we pretend like we don't actually see our differences. And we can celebrate them. Mm -hmm. We can celebrate God. I love it. I love reading the book of Revelation and how God doesn't erase Mm -hmm. that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping together. He could have. That's right. He could have said all those who have professed faith in Mm -hmm. Jesus will be worshiping. But no, he keeps those differences. Right. I think there's a reason for that. So why would we want to erase that? So I really think that there's a lot of what people are really trying to say when they say that I'm colorblind is they're trying to say I'm not racist. Right, right. But but they don't understand. They're they're dismissing history. They are dismissing. They're not taking the time maybe to dig in. It's it's kind of an an easy out, I guess, to to not understand. It is absolutely an easy out. Yeah, yeah. that's a good way to put it. It's an easy out. And instead, you want to. I, I I've said in written that you want to be color smart. Yeah. yeah you want to good. understand those who are not like you, instead of trying to erase them. I tell you, Trillia is such a gracious and thoughtful person, and that was just a portion of a conversation she had a few years ago with Gabe on the topic of colorblindness. Now, that conversation, as well as the talk you heard earlier from Adam Thomason, plus so many more talks on this topic and a lot of other important topics, are available to you as a subscriber to the Q Media platform. Not a subscriber yet? Well, tell you what. Remember, you can take a test drive, as it were, of the Qmedia platform by requesting your own 30-day free trial membership at qideas.org. Again, just ask for it at qideas.org. I'm Paul Perot. Again, thank you for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. On behalf of Gabe, we hope you have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.